Did you know RGGEDU founders Gary Martin and Robert Grimm originally met at the retail establishment Tea Havana, where Gary picked out a selection of herbal teas for Robert? He was so delighted with the choices that they formed a partnership that blossomed into the photography education powerhouse known as RGGEDU. It's all true. It really happened. Welcome to the RGGEDU podcast. Gary and Rob get down and dirty with some of the top photographers in the industry. Season 5 of the RGGEDU podcast is brought to you by Sekonic Light Meters. For decades, Sekonic Light Meters have been an essential tool helping photographers grow from simply taking pictures to creating photographs. Nothing compares to working with a light meter to help you understand and control light. Get serious. Get Sekonic. In this episode, we are joined with Matthew Cherry and also Rob Grimm. He's, and everyone is drinking Woodford Reserve. We are. It's good. I was actually just taking a sip because I couldn't wait. Yeah. Matthew is an incredible... What would you call yourself? Photographer, artist, CGI? like Artist, artist. probably. Artist. Yeah. So your work, if you don't know um, Matthew Cherry's work, um, go to his website right now, which is... MatthewJCherry.com. MatthewJCherry.com. And get an idea of the type of work that he does and what we'll be talking about on this episode because it is absolutely it's insane. It's, it's absolutely insane. So walk us through what is real and what isn't real in most of your photos. Well, first of all, tell us, tell us define who you are as a photographer and an artist so, so our audience knows from your perspective who you feel you are as a photographer. I think ultimately I was sort of a frustrated filmmaker. Okay. You know, I went to uh, I went to school for music. I was a string bassist, a jazz musician, and uh, lost the use of my hands. But I was still scoring and writing some music, and so I was doing that for a couple student films. Mm-hmm. And if you ever worked on a student film, you know everybody sort of does everything, right? right? So I'm I'm working there, and I'm I'm helping schlep lights and that. And uh, I was always just a huge movie buff, so I started you know tweaking their lighting a little bit and saying, well, you know, what if we do this or what if we do that. Um, and so then I thought, you know, I could make movies. I'm going to be Fellini. And, uh, nice little goal. Right. Fellini. So that didn't work out. And, uh, <laughs> but I, but I did do, I did move into doing like some corporate video work and, you know, that sort of thing and always pursued, um, fine art photography on the side. And I was drawn to narrative work. Uh, Cindy Sherman, Gregory Crudson, um, and wanted to create a lot of that wanted to create that type of work myself and bring my love of film into what I call single frame films, right? These, these little vignettes. I like that term. And, um, and so that led me to set building and, you know, propping locations and doing what we typically do as photographers, shooting on large format film and, and developing the work. And then I started getting into digital and that allowed me to do more composites, um, Sort of like uh, your course with Eric, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're, you're photographing different locations or different elements and bringing it in. And then about three years ago, I wanted to do... We were doing a series called Pulp, uh, the team that I work with, um, which was drawing inspiration from old Pulp magazine covers, mm-hmm. right? And we wanted to do a scene that took place in an opera house. And I went to every opera house in Connecticut... Massachusetts, New York. I couldn't find bringing cameras and trying to frame the shot. I couldn't get what I wanted. 
I started looking and researching opera houses in Europe. Could we go over there and get the shot? None of them seemed to work right. We priced out what it would cost to build this as a set. And all the money. All the money. Yeah. All the money. It would have cost all the money. And, But about a month before, I had a friend of mine, a guy by the name of Joseph Francis, who's... He was a CGI coordinator for Independence Day and a whole bunch of other films. And he had created a model for me in the blacksmith shot. Mm -hmm. That's an actual location. Everything's shot there except for the model of the, the Iron Woman that he's building. And I told him about the predicament. He said, I can't build you a whole opera house. I don't have time for that. But why don't you start thinking about learning how to do this? I said, oh, man, I, you know, I know how to turn a computer on, work Photoshop a little bit. That's about it. He said, no, you could, you could do this. I said, okay. So I started with that set, um, and I just took a phenomenal amount of classes and just started studying. And I had him as a friend, which was a great resource. And great help, resource, yeah. yeah. Another friend of mine um, owns a company called Soho VFX. And so like they did all the CGI for Terminator reboots and stuff like that. So he's a phenomenal resource as well, right? So... Right. Slowly, I started creating this opera house scene. And I said, well, it's probably not going to be good, but let's see what I can do. And by the time I was done, I looked at it and I was like, this is, this is really good. I mean, it's not perfect, but, you know, I, I can do You're this. Proud of it. I was proud of it. Yeah. I, could, I could do this. And so then it's just been a three-year evolution of making things more and more real. And how long did it take to, to create that first opera house? Oh God! Hundreds of hours, because it was all the learning curve, right? Yeah. At this point, each scene takes me about two hundred hours. Wow! <laughs> Had, did you ever, for once, consider making miniature sets? I have, because when I was a kid, um, I used to love to do that. Um, but the, I don't know. I'm, I just turned fifty, so my eyesight and the idea of of working in miniature yeah. and doing it that way just. And I didn't know if I could get a photorealistic result, which was what my ultimate goal was. The Pulp series is sort of illustrative by nature, because that's what those magazines were. They were illustrated. So if those were a little illustrative in their feel while I was learning how to do this, it was okay, because it, it, it added to the aesthetic. But as we've moved on into, into more modern, contemporary-feeling shoots, um, I've really needed to be able to nail the photorealism of it, and I just didn't think I would be able to do that in miniature. Okay, so walk us through, when you want to create something, Like, what is this, the first step, and what's the software of creating an environment? The first step for me is, um, what story am I going to tell? Right? What's the narrative? Yeah. And then... From there, I go into sort of traditional filmmaking techniques. I write a little. I know this is sort of not where you were going. No, but no, no, that's no, good. This is this exactly is, this where is, we want to go. Um, back it up. Let's, let's so, back it up and get in your head. So I write. So I write a little. I write a little script as if it were just a scene, right? You know, opening scene. Um, let's take the last one. I did the Forgotten Lady, where she's sitting on the couch with the Oscar, sort of Sunset Boulevard. Um, and I described that, you know, older woman sitting on a couch, watching a film of herself, clutching her Oscar, um, reflecting back on, you know, she's all alone now in this big house. Was it worth it? Was the accomplishment worth it? Do we do what we give up a lot of times to be artists in hopes that 
will be known even a little bit, right? Is, is that worth it at the end of the day? When you're 70, will you think, huh, you know, it's okay, I, I didn't do this or do that? Mm-hmm. Um, so then once I do that, I start fleshing out who she is a little bit. Oh, geez, sorry. You're right. Yeah, more Woodford. <laughs> <laughs> who, who is she? Where, what would she? where would she live? What would that look like? Um, if there's a projector, what kind of projector would it be? It would be a little old-fashioned 8 millimeter. You know, what kind of couch would she have? What things would tell that story, and what would they look like? And then I start um, using either, like, Pinterest or, um, or Pinterest, I don't know, whatever mm-hmm. the kids call I like, it. I like Pinterest. 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 Um, it goes with the mail. Yeah. The mail. Yeah, yeah. Um, Evernote. <laughs> you know, I start collecting reference images of, of what, what do I think. It'll look like, and and I stare at the wall a lot, and eventually I start to get an idea in in my mind, and then um, I typically sketch it out a little bit. Once I start modeling, I work in Maya, um, and the problem with having a lot of these conversations is so much is is software dependent, depending on what you're doing, um, and a lot of it's very expensive, but. You could do an awful lot of it in a free program called Blender. Um, and there's some Blender artists who are doing some amazing, amazing things. Um, so you don't have to spend... Who makes Blender? Blender? Blender. And it's I, free? Why it's is it free? free. Do they have a pro version? You know, I don't know because I don't use the like, software. Is it like Firefox where it's just open yeah, source? Yeah, it's just open source. People, people develop right. it? Yep. Cool. And um, So who makes Maya? Yeah, how much is, is Maya? Autodesk, Autodesk makes Maya. They make oh, yeah. Maya 3ds Max, which is used a lot by architectural visualization guys. Um, you're looking at about five grand a year per Ooh. year. Yeah, it's a subscription. Yeah, five grand a year. Yeah, that's a hefty pull actually for the software. Well, when you think about it, how much would you spend on building all those sets, and hiring all the people, lighting it? Eleven dollars. I actually, I actually <laughs> that's have five dollars more than I would. I actually have a producer um, specking out that gold room shoot that I did. Um, and we figured that would have cost close to $100,000. Yeah, that's amazing. At production prices, right, where you're hiring oh, yeah. right. you know, guys to do all this and that. So then you start generating the models. And some of it you, you might model yourself. Some things that are incredibly complex um, you might purchase. Um, right now I'm working on a project for a custom outdoor kitchen manufacturer, right? So we're going to be showing their outdoor kitchens and a variety of crazy locations. Uh, so they had AutoCAD files, and I was able to bring those AutoCAD files in to Maya and use them as the initial models. AutoCAD of the kitchens. Right. And then you're building right. the environments. And then I'm building them. the environments. Okay. Right. Um, and the modeling portion is, I don't want to say it's the easiest. It depends on what it is. If you're buying a lot of resources, if you turn around and say, Hey, I got a scene out in the street and it's awesome, but I just wish I had the Batmobile there. You know, I don't need to do a whole environment. We well, could buy a model of the Batmobile. So that, who's making all these models and selling them? Some people do it as a living. Um, some people will offer it. For example, almost anything sold at Restoration Hardware, you could buy the model of it. Um, wow. Because, again, Is people that who magazine are doing, even real? Is what magazine even? Restoration Hardware. Hardware. Yeah, that's it's all that CGI? Most of it, yeah. Holy really? shit. Yeah. I heard IKEA is all CGI. Yeah. Should should commercial photographers be scared shitless? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, right? This this is a much more cost effective way and the the art director, grave director, 
That was exactly what they're getting. And once you have it, you have it. And you can manipulate it. You know, I had to do a shoot uh, years ago for charbroil, right? We did a grill. And uh, a lot of chrome. Mm-hmm. And, and you know what that's oh, like. Oh, yeah. I'm very familiar with shooting grills. And yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, what a phenomenal pain in the ass it is to just get a clean shot of the grill without you and the handle, the chrome, and all that. Right. Once, you, once you do that in CG, it's there. It's done. Um, and one of the reasons I started after that, you know, doing the little opera house saying, Hey, you know, I really want to get into this is cause I was, I was talking to commercial art directors and that, and realizing that as the cost of commercial photography has sort of come down a little bit, what people are paying for CG is, is not, it's still pretty it's high still up high. there. Yeah. So I think it's a. I think it's a good tool to have. Um, I think if you do the kind of work that I do, narrative work or that, or even more simple stuff. I mean, even if you just turn around and say, you know, you're working for a pharmaceutical company and and they want um, someone trapped in a pill bottle or something. You know, how do you how do you do that? Honestly, even in my business, I, I shoot a lot of beverage, and I I have lost a lot of work yeah. um, from clients where they have decided instead of going with original photography, they go with CGI. They go with the rendering of the of the bottle. Um, and sometimes it's really important for them because they're trying to get something to market um, and they want to test something out. So they'll they'll do CGI of it and, and make you know an ad campaign of something that isn't real, but it it looks yeah. it. It's all right. over Behance. Yeah. That seems to yeah. be Yeah. And it looks so real. It it doesn't look hyper real where you're like, oh that's fake. But it's just like wow that if you didn't know if it was CGI, you look at some of these guys that, and girls that are doing it, just like, holy shit, really? Yeah. That's, that's not real? That yeah. looks so good. And that's where the difficulty comes in, yeah. right? How you make the materials. Because the model's like, look at, no one else can see, but there's a, a, there's table. a table. There's a table <laughs> here that's like old reclaimed wood on top and, and pipe fittings to make the legs and everything. Yeah. You know, creating a model of that would not be difficult, right? It's It's... It's a square that's been elongated out. So you got this rectangle box, and then you got a bunch of cylinders and, you know, some bevels and that there. But it, it's a pretty simple item. But how do you get the wood to look like that? How do you get the reflectivity right? Yeah. How do you get um, it so it doesn't look like it's a repeating pattern? You know, same thing with, with the metal. How do, you, how do you get that sheen to be just that soft? That highlight is, you know? Um, and that's where it it becomes difficult. And that's where you wind up spending a lot, a lot of time if that's what you want to do. So you're basically kind of hand drawing this and all right. So let's, let's go back. So after you have come up with the art direction, right? What is the first step? Are you picking out everything that's going to be there? Are you building the architecture of the place first? First I'm building the architecture. All right. So the architecture comes in and everything kind of looks white and gray and boxy. Exactly. So what is that process called? Does that have a name to it? Like, Phase one, whatever. I, no, no. no idea. Okay, so then after architectural that, rendering, architectural Archi- rendering. <laughs> rendering. I right. mean, it's it's. Let's let's. We yeah, should coin a we term. Should, we should label this stuff as yeah, we go. Right. Yeah. yeah. All right. We're going to give you terms. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. And, yeah. and can we call one of the sheens Charlie? The Charlie sheen. Anyway, sorry. Dad Absolutely. Jokes, dad jokes coming in hot. Um, all right. So once you have all of the items, because I remember seeing you post things. And it was like guitars and amps and, and things like that. And seeing that process right. was incredible. So at what point does the light, the lighting come in from like the direction of that light? 
Okay. I start with a basic light in the scene okay. because everything I'm doing, I'm rendering all the time. That's part of the reason why this takes a long time. I don't do a 10-day render, but a huge thing, but I, I render in small bits all the time because I have to see how it's going to look. Yeah. So let's say, um, let's say you have a shiny pool ball, right, and a softbox up here. So you're going to get that, that highlight in there yeah. and all that. Okay. Um, you won't see that in the software until you render. You might not even see, depending on the type of software you're using, that, there's, that it's an eight ball. You might just see a, a gray sphere until you render it. So now what you have to figure out is how do you make that material so that it reflects that way. So I put a light in the scene immediately just so that I can see things as I'm as I'm doing That's it. crazy. What, what like, is I, it I put a light up just to see things. Yeah, what, what are you looking at? When, yeah. Is this just like a gray outline? When you can't see that it's an eight ball, how do you, how do you know what you're working on, I guess, is where I'm going? Like, I see either, I can choose to see either a wireframe. Mm -hmm. And on my site, there's some videos mm -hmm. um, that show them coming together. Right. And then there's, it'll be, yeah, it would look like a gray ball, a gray wall. You'd see all the detail but you wouldn't see any of the texture that was placed on that detail, okay? Um, and then the next step, and probably the most difficult step, is UV mapping everything, okay? So if I have this table again, I keep bumping this, sorry, and um, I want to put that texture on the table. Let's say I actually photograph the table. Mm -hmm. I can't use the real table because I'm going to blow it up. But we're not really going to blow it up. We're going to do it in CG. But I need it to look exactly like that. So I photograph all the sides of that table. How do I get the top to be on the top? How do I get that to be there? I have to map, unfold the table from 3D space into 2D space. Whoa. And then you're using basically a grid, color checker type grid, to make sure that everything lines up nice. And then you're placing those textures there, whether you do it in a 3D paint program, whether you do it in Photoshop. So now, when you render that, everything is exactly where it's supposed to be. If you had a and the rendering wraps it, so you're basically you're you're taking everything and flattening it out, telling right. it where it needs to go. Right. And then when you hit render, it goes through the process to actually create the form. Right. The render computes what all the objects are. Mm -hmm what all the materials are, mm -hmm. how reflective, how rough, how metallic, okay? how transparent, translucent. It calculates where all the lights are, and it shoots millions of rays and how they would bounce around. <laughs> and then that creates the final object. So if you, have, if you have this Schweppes can next to a white cue ball that you've rendered, you should see some of that Schweppes ball in the, oh, absolutely. In the cue ball, into right? It, right? And you might actually see, um, if this were a glossy red tabletop, you'd see, you'd see reflections there. So it has to compute all that. Now, if you're doing an architectural rendering where all you're having is the sun, you can render something pretty fast. But if you're looking at what I do, sometimes there's 30, 40 lights in the scene, little tiny lights. Mm -hmm. And then it gets... So I know so often w w people who are doing composite work, they create a backplate first, mm -hmm. and then they'll go and they'll shoot their subject in using that lighting schematic in order to have it fit in. Some people work in reverse where they'll, they'll just collect backplates, and then they'll, they'll look at it, and they'll say, okay, now I want to put somebody in here. And, 
Um, but it, it almost always starts with the back plate. Is that the same? I know you're building the back, the, you know, that background image. Are you deciding your lighting schematic there versus on your subject? And then you have to take that lighting schematic into the studio on your subject. So if you're creating 30 lights, you've got to now bring that forward into your subject when you go into the studio. That's exactly right. Yeah. So when we did the boxer shot that's on there, there were six lights overhead in the gym. I didn't need to do all six because the backlights wouldn't have really hit them too much. But I put three strobes up. Mm -hmm. I put the strobe where the key light would be. I mimic that light. On the Forgotten Lady, you had the light that would have been the the screen reflecting on her. You had the light I would actually use to to light her if we were doing this on a set. Um, We had a light behind her that was snooted down and gelled blue because that's the projector light. Mm -hmm. We had two strobes on either side that reference the the table lights on the console behind the couch. And those are the only lights that would have hit the people. Mm -hmm. There were other lights in the scene, but they wouldn't have affected the people, so I didn't need to mimic that. But the rest of it I had to mimic. So your understanding of light is it's just it's such a critical component when you're doing the, the background renders. You know, it's funny. I've had this conversation with a lot of people who say that, um, you know, oh, well, what you do isn't photography. You asked me what I consider myself, and I said, you know, an artist. And part of that is because I got tired of having the conversation of saying, I'm a photographer. I just happen to use CGI, CGI sometimes. Um, I use more photographic knowledge conscious photographic knowledge at right. least doing this than I have doing anything else and I've done a lot of different types of photography right. so how often and it, this might be more of a reference back to when you first started learning it how often did you make something that was just completely unrealistic and you didn't really know why all the time all still, the time. Do. <laughs> so, still do so still, still do so you'll wait what's the average render time if you want to are you like you know doing it overnight and you wake up and you're like, oh, shit, it's all. No, you can, you can get, um, if you're just looking how material is going to look, yeah. there's some interactive renderers that will sort of do it in real time. Um, and then you can, you can get a, a, a resolution that you can see within 10, 15 minutes. You know, it just won't print large, right? Okay. But you can get a, you can oh, get a say, a 1080p yeah. image in maybe 15 minutes. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Just to, just to look and see. Um, it depends on you know, it's it's all about the material and sometimes it's it's about introducing enough flaws it's almost the opposite of retouching which is hysterical because when i started doing everything before i started doing this right doing like product work like you know we retouch the hell out of everything right. in fact my favorite course that you guys that you guys have put out is Seth's. Oh, i mean yeah. just you know the demand. It's a great work. We were actually really oh. surprised at the response that that got because you know going into that, we knew he was like one of the best retouchers you know working today in his field, and has you know developed you know frequency separation 2.0 and uh, w- with another guy named Earth who we're working with. But you know when you look at he had no website going into it. He's like you know all my art directors just look at Behance. I, I actually had to build him a website just so people could check it out. That's hysterical. Yeah, right? So um, built him a website, had zero following, you know, no social media, do, doesn't do it. So right. going into that, we were thinking, you know, when you can compare with, like, what Pratik does. You know, right, um, right. He has a huge audience, huge following. We, were, we weren't expecting much, but it completely blew up. And that's kind of when we realized that 
our audience is getting really, really good and wants really, really advanced stuff like this. And it's no yeah. longer just like Photoshop 101, cap yeah. like introduction to Capture One. I mean, that's why you get guys like me looking at what you put yeah, out, right? right? Yeah. I, don't, I don't need an intro to lighting course. Right, absolutely. You know? um, but, but that course that he put out, you know, I'll give it a plug because I don't care if you've been doing this for 50 years. You'll, you'll learn something Absolutely. from that. It's yeah. amazing. Um, but when you're doing that, right, you almost you, you try to create perfection, right? And it almost has, in a way, its own illustrative look because it's so perfect. If you look at most architectural renderings that you know are a rendering, mm -hmm. even if you don't know why you know it's a rendering, it's because it's too perfect. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. That makes perfect sense, actually. So how do you put in... Natural flaw. Natural flaw that isn't bad, right? Maybe right. you don't want it to be ugly, but enough variation. There's no surface you will ever look at in life that has uniform um, reflectivity or uniform right. roughness. Even that mirror I'm looking, there's, there's smudge marks and stuff like that, and that's about as pure a surface as you're going to get. Right. Um, so then... As you start making these materials, as you get better at it, you go from, okay, this is the color that's going to be on it, right? Or this is the, if let's say I'm making marble pillars, this is the photograph of marble I took that I'm wrapping around these pillars. But now, how do we, how do we map that roughness? How do we map that specularity so that it's not completely uniform? It still looks, it still looks nice. I don't have to make it look post-apocalyptic. Right or dystopian, but but it looks real because it's not perfect. Sure. So, are you putting like little dents in things and hiding, yeah, sometimes hiding, hiding little you know little cookies. Yeah, yeah or just um, we should do we should do like a uh, you should post one of your photos and uh, you know it's almost like a Where's Waldo <laughs> things and say I put Where sixteen flaws into this photo. Can you find them? I know this doesn't tra translate to a podcast, but look at the black wall behind you. Yeah. and forget with the tape marks. Forget the tape marks. Forget all that. Just look where the sheen of the light is, and look oh, at yeah, all absolutely. the little bumps. Yeah. If that if you didn't have that, if that was just plain black, it would either be super flat, which would yeah. be fine if there's no reflectivity. Yeah. But if there's reflectivity and it's perfect your mind won't accept that as real. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I've worked with uh, Mike Campau a few times. Um, do you know his work? No. Um, he's, he's a really talented CGI guy. And um, we've, we've done some work for Ciroc Vodka. It, it was pretty interesting working with him because he had to create, like I was, I was photographing um, Ciroc in a New York loft, but I was film, photographing in St. Louis. So we had this back plate. I was actually doing it in Chicago. And... Um, there had to be these kind of bubbles, like which were a combination of the round Ciroc logo and champagne bubbles. So I'm creating the entire scene, and Mike has to create the bubbles that are realistically kind of floating through the space. And one of the things he had me do, which I thought was fascinating, I got three different size garden globes, the perfectly mirrored balls. Yep. And when I was done with my set, I pulled the product off, and I set those three balls in the, it, right in the middle of the set, and photographed it for him. So he could see every light source and their position in the room. And he even wanted to know what light sources were in the room that weren't necessarily hitting the actual product but might have an effect. I thought that was actually really brilliant uh, to, to be able to know exactly where that light source is because of the, exactly what you're talking about. What, the way that shine is hitting the wall, um, the light source that's coming onto it from you know coming through that curtain, all those little things 
create the realism that you, that your eye and your brain need to process it. Right. It's not just that. Did you did you bracket your exposures? Did you make an HDRI for them? I did. Okay. I did. And yeah. the reason for that. Now let's go back to our Batmobile example. Okay. You just took a you just took a picture outside your street. Yeah. And you've you've lined up the planes so that the Batmobile will render exactly where your street is, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of just putting a sun in the scene, mm-hmm. you know, a small point source far right. away, which you might also do, you would wrap that scene in a globe. And if you use that HDR mapped onto that globe that you're inside, mm-hmm. you can use that to light your scene. So it becomes the gradient. It becomes the fall off so that the light that is, that is down a little bit lower on the Batmobile is going to be darker and have more shadow than what's on not even, ju- not even just that. Let's say your house is behind you. You're okay. standing in front of your house, and you're photographing the car. Right. Your house is in that picture now. Right. And your house will be reflected in the glossy black paint right. of the Batmobile. It kind of blows my brain apart. It's like that. It's that it, I don't have is, any brain matter left. It's complex. all over the wall. Yeah. 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 Is the learning curve for this Sounds impossible? Difficult. Because, you know... I do think the photographers probably need to know this stuff going forward. Um, it's becoming more and more prevalent in the way commercial photography is done. Is the, the learning curve just an impediment, or can, can photographers get this? Photographers can get it. I think um, photographers really get the rendering and the lighting. That was the easiest for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had guys who do this for motion pictures for years go, oh, my God, I can't believe how you're, you know, you're doing that. Which isn't a brag as much as it is these are animators who, or modelers who don't really have 25 years of lighting experience, right? right? You, know how, you know how lights work. So that I think you would, you would do fairly, pick up fairly quickly. Um, the modeling is difficult. Um, but again, you can hire people to model. You can purchase certain models. Um, and then the texture. Purchase a model? You can purchase a model. Just kidding. <laughs> um, and then the texturing, right? And that's, but the problem with, you know, like we talked about before, teaching a class like this right. is so much of it can be software um, dependent. dependent. You know, how you create a material to render in V-Ray will be different than how you create a material to render in Maxwell will be different to how you create a material to render in Arnold. There's certain okay, base... So- I'm immediately going to make the equation, since you and I are both older dudes and come from the world of film, I don't know those software programs, but I'm going to equate them to film stock. So, you know, it's like you had to know, if you were shooting on a 100 grain, you know, negative color film versus a 3200 black and white, you know, each each film stock is going to give you something different. You're going to get a different look. Right. So you need to know these programs because you're going to get different looks out of each of them. Yeah, you're going to get different looks out of each of them, and you have to know how the materials get constructed within them. How do you make if – I'm, if I'm creating this plastic cup with this unbelievably delicious Woodford Reserve <laughs> yeah. within it, um, how, do I make, how do I make the Woodford um, – you know, transparent enough? How do I make the, the cup transparent enough? If I want caustics, which are incredibly resource expensive when you're rendering, but what if you're caustics? doing... caustics? What is that? Um, all right, product photographer, you, you do a close-up photograph of a diamond ring. Okay. 
or a glass, crystal, crystal glass, right? You do yeah. beverage, um, and you see those little rainbows that yeah. come off it, and yeah. all the those are caustics. Okay, um, we just call them damn, little, little damn that. rainbows. I didn't little know damn, that term. Little damn rainbows. All those, all those little <laughs> things that come off it. Yeah. So to render those, um, LDRs is what we call them. Takes takes a lot of takes a lot of computing power. Yeah. So if you turn caustics on, um, that ten day render, you know, could be fifteen days. Um, so it takes. So once you're kind of done, you have the 1080 render. Right. You render something. You're leaving your computer going for 15 days, and you're not touching it. I typically do 10 days. Now, to be fair, I'm rendering out at least 16 by 20. I do a lot of gallery work, so almost everything I do gets printed, mm-hmm. and it's going to be printed to at least 16 by 20. Um, I try to go 20 by 30 if I can. I shoot a phase leaf system, so. Um, I want as much resolution in the yeah. render because I never want to. I want to have to never do it again. Yeah, right. You know, and once you do it, you can't just go back and go. Oh, hey, let's so change the size. You gotta. Right. How often it. do you get to like day six or seven and the computer crashes? I've been pretty. Never. I've been pretty lucky with that, but it does. Shit! Now that I said it, sometimes sometimes it happen. But then you figure out okay why I'm doing that. Usually that's RAM. All right, r- walk us through your computer hardware. What what's in that thing? I have a I have a little older Mac Pro tower, um, 128 gig of RAM. Um, all the RAMs. All the RAMs. I have all the RAMs. I have uh, the best graphics card that you could get for it at the time. I'm not even sure I know what it is. An is it the silver tower or the black trash can? It's the silver tower silver still. Silver tower. Yeah. All and right. it was... How many cores is That it? had eight cores. Eight cores. 128 gigs of RAM. Yeah. Now, if you went with... I'm actually Are thinking SSDs that... SSDs too? Or? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, their new Mac, iMac Pro that they're putting out can have as many as, what, 16 cores, they're saying? Yeah, and it's like $18,000. Is that what it, is that yeah, what it's going to be? Yeah. Apple, if you're listening, go fuck yourself. Okay. Jeez, I mean, you because you can get some PC solutions. Oh yeah, way that, cheaper. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but it's rendering's all about the cores. Don't get me started. Now I'm started on Apple thinking about that calm, goddamn touch calm bar. Down. Yeah. Well, the calm, trash calm can down. was like I, I saw USB-C, that and I'm like, yeah, there's n- there's no way I'm not buying that. Yeah. Um, so it's all in the cores. It's all in the cores. The more cores you have, the faster you go. You know, you get uh, you got 64 cores going. You know. Even I got a friend of mine, a commercial photographer out of Chicago, Bob Randall, and he's been building yeah. a render farm out of old used Dell servers that he's been picking up on eBay for about seven hundred bucks a pop. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can do a network render using virtually any of the rendering software. Do you? Does he worry about reliability when you're buying something, uh, you know, older? That, I mean, is that uh, is that a, a concern? I think it would be for me because I don't have someone that can uh, troubleshoot, troubleshoot it, stuff. Yeah. you know, for me. Um, but he does, so. Wow. You know. This is fascinating. But yeah, really, the hard though. God, it sounds yeah. Hard. I mean, the thing that gets me, like I've taught some of this a bit, not the CGI aspect of it, but the the creating cinematic photographs. And the thing that always strikes me, though, is, you know, everybody wants to know about, um, you know, how do you physically do this? Um, but I think the real important part is how do you create narratives? Mm-hmm. You know, because some of what you see there are physical sets that we built in very small spaces. Yeah. Um, and it's just as powerful. 
And if I had if I had the resources, I would do what Crutzen does. Yeah, I was you actually know? just going to bring him up. Like, yeah, one of my favorite, if not favorite, photographers of all time. And when you look at his stories, they look like frames out of a movie, and that's kind of his approach. And usually, kind of dark and twisted, fucked up. You know, <laughs> movie where you're just like, what the? F- Why is that old woman naked staring at the guy at the table eating mashed potatoes? You know, it's just but, like. But you got to think about it. Yeah. Right. So your eye just goes all around. And you stay on that image for a long time. Yeah. And there's a lot of meat in those images. Yeah. And that that goes back to why I said, you know, you build this script and you think about art direction. You know, you want to get books to learn how to do narrative stuff. Forget buying books on photography. Buy books on what art directors do. Buy books on what stage designers do. do Buy know, books on cinema theory. Do you know some of those books off the top of your head you'd recommend? And it's fine. We can put them in the, on your page. Yeah, I, I can send you some stuff. There's, um, All right, we'll put, links, we'll put links to these books on your podcast page. There's one book called Film Art that I think everybody should sort of get. Um, and it's sort of if you go to school for, you know, you want to be a movie director or whatever, it's sort of like filmmaking 101. Okay. Um, and it really deals with the aesthetics of it. Um, and that's a, that's a great resource. And then the why of things, too. You know... And how you separate out the superficial from what from what matters. Yeah. There's a, I think it's out of print now, but there was a book by Aldous Huxley, which was a, um, a set of essays. And one of them was um, called On Art, the book's On Art and Artists. And in one of these essays, he's talking about um, the obvious truth versus the universal truth, the real truth, right? So the obvious truth of like the forgotten lady might be, you know, here's this old lady watching, you know, this film of herself. But the universal truth is what she's grappling with. And I think the greatest, um, the greatest example of what Huxley was talking about, I actually ever heard was, was a talk given by JJ Abrams and he was talking about Jaws, right? And you know, what do you think Jaws is about? What do you think Jaws is about? Um, I haven't seen it in a while, but it's definitely a shark movie. <laughs> um, that's a weird question. Oh, it's not a weird question. It's straightforward. I just haven't thought about Jaws so much. Um, Everybody says that, right? It's yeah, a movie it's, about a shark, it, right? Yeah, it's it's a. I mean, it's not a horror movie, but it's a it's a thriller uh, intent to to scare you and okay. uh, you know with with. I think what is is playing on a common fear that we all have right. about sharks in the water. I would posit that the sharks in MacGuffin. And the shark doesn't matter at all. Really? It could have been aliens. It could have been anything. Okay. The movie's about a guy um, who had to move his family to a new place for a job. And his boss is an idiot. The wife's not happy that he moved there. The kids are, you know, getting in the way. And they don't know if they're happy to be there. Everybody's complaining about him. He can't stand what he's doing. All of a sudden, there's this emergency at work. And he's got to work with these other two guys. And, and they're not getting along. And, and they're fighting with each other. And all of a sudden, he's got to deal with, what do I have to do to protect my family and to protect the people around me, even though they're idiots and they're not giving me what I need to do this? And all I want to do at the end of the day is come home and kiss my kid on the head and have a cocktail and sit on the couch with my wife and tell her I love her. That's right. what the movie's about. And because that's what the movie's about, you can relate to this. You can watch Jaws, and you can relate to Roy Schneider's character. Did you watch the because most re- recent Spielberg documentary that's yeah. on, uh, I believe, HBO? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was fascinating how that movie came together. Right. And 
That, but that's but that's the universal truth of it. That's what you'll relate to. That's what everybody will relate okay, to. So that's interesting. So because because we have that universal truth, because we can relate to his um, strife and his struggle, just to to be working with a bunch of idiots and want to come home and kiss his his wife and kid. Because we understand that truth, we now can feel what it's like to have a shark experience when. The reality is most of us are never going to have that fear. We're never going to have that encounter. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's cool. That's exactly right. And, and any Deep thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> You're like the new Jack Handy. <laughs> and anything, and anything you, you see is, is that way, right? Any, nothing exists outside of the context of narrative. If, if you're just doing a portrait, um, there's, there's still some narrative there. Yeah. Um, but narrative is who we are as a species. When we came out of the trees, narrative was everything. Narrative was how we shaped our political systems. It's how we shaped our religious systems. It's how, you know, we we survived because we were able to say, hey, you don't go over there. That's where, you know, the bears eat you. But over here is where you get the good berries. So where do, where do you come up with your narratives? What what are the things that you find inspirational and that are drivers for you to sit down and write and envision and sculpt and craft and then make this, this ultimate image? I find I find that I'm often inspired by um, old Hollywood. Mm-hmm. When I was a, when I was a very little kid, um, I'm talking about for the story though too, not just the visual, like the story. Where do you get the the, the character story? PCP. He does a lot of PCP. <laughs> um, yeah, drugs. Hollywood. Um, <laughs> no, no. I I look at you know again the only because it's the most fresh in my mind um with the old lady you know i've been thinking a lot about that you know what 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 will my life have meant creatively so you're drawing a lot of inspiration from your own life i think so i think i i draw inspiration from the stories that i like to talk to people i like to find out what what they're going through and what what matters to them and that and you never know where you're gonna where you're gonna find something can i give you an exercise that's really fun to do sure um I learned this a long time ago, and it's a really great portfolio builder. Um, it's a great way to come up with ideas that just kind of lead you somewhere. And it's pants optional. You don't have to wear pants during this. No, you, you actually don't. You don't. I'm not wearing them now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you start writing down different piles. You pick a person, a character, uh, a place, and an object. Like We just did a beverage tutorial with me, so we wrote down characters. Um, everybody from Deborah Harry from Blondie to um, the Queen of England to you, you name it. You just go through whatever character you want and then places. Um, and that place can be um, a studio in New York City. It can be the back of a Cadillac. It can be a, 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 you know, a hotel on a mountain in Switzerland, anywhere. And then the object, and that can be a thing. And then you start randomly pulling them from the pile. So, like, one of the, one of the images that, that I drew that I actually really want to create, it's Deborah Harry drinking a Manhattan in the back of a Cadillac. Who's Deborah Harry? Blondie. Blondie, what? I don't, I don't know who that is. Oh, my oh God. God. Blondie. You know the band Blondie? How old, yeah. are, you? How old yeah. are you? I'm 33. Hmm. Why should yeah. I know Blondie? Oh, that was not. She's a pivotal that was in the rocker. 80s. In the 80s, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. guess what? I was watching Iron Eagle and Stand By Me. Not listening to Blondie. What is Iron Eagle? What is Iron Eagle? <laughs> Get the fuck out of here, Rob. No, I know that. I know yeah. that. Anyway. I know that. So, but Deborah Harry in the back of a Cadillac drinking a, a Manhattan right, right. would be so fantastic. That gives, that gives you character. It gives you context. It gives you a place. It gives you something to build on. Now, is your image actually going to look like, oh, oh my God, 
that's Deborah Harry drinking a you know a Manhattan in the back of a catalog. It doesn't matter. Right. It, it's that character generation that you're looking to build a story from. Right. Try it. It's fine. I like that. I'll do that. Will you sing me a little Blondie right now, Rob? <laughs> sing me a little Blondie. Heart of Glass? Come on. Well, I didn't say, say I'm not the gonna, name of the I'm not going to sing it. I'm not gonna We're sing not it. continuing until you sing Blondie. I'm not I don't know. Blondie. Please, like, come on. We'll, Why not? We'll pull some up. Because I'm a terrible singer. No. Well, maybe with that attitude. Come on, Rob. You got this. Let's do this. Come on. You got this. You, sorry, uh, rip come that, on. I'll just give you say. a few. Rip that joint. No, that, that's I, a great no, you song. you got to sing it with the melody. Come on. All right. We're moving on. Okay. What a chicken. What a chicken. I would have sang it. Michael, do you know Blondie? Thank God. Well, he's a musician. He's a I, producer. I know, but he's of your elk, and it would terrify me if he didn't know. So. Well, uh, do I call myself a producer? No, no, no. No. Do no. you know the Ramones? Yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't know the names of the people in it, but I know the Ramones. It's pretty easy. Yeah, Joey yeah, Ramone. Joey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. And so the, and you know Blondie, you just don't realize it. Yeah. No, I know. And you get a lot of, get a lot of inspiration from music. Yeah, oh, absolutely. You know? There was, I always wanted to do um, a series based on every song on the wall. Oh, that'd be like, cool. Like one image. And I was thinking about like different iconic albums, right? Yeah. But the wall's just the what, easiest. What's stopping you? I'd, I'd pay for that. Man, I have so many... Personal projects going on? So many ideas in my mind that the, the time to do them just all is just hours in the day. not enough hours of the day. But blue sky, yeah. you know, it just there's so much you could do there that would be rich visuals. Let's do the wall in a series of tutorials. That would be awesome. You know, two hundred hours each each photo though. Well, you you know you you bring it down and yeah, it doesn't have to be as complicated as you want it to who, be. Who would be the subjects in there? Do you have the, that mapped out in the locations? No. That would be a, that would be an awesome series. Yeah. yeah, I want to see it. That's totally cool. Let's do it. You could do Tommy. I mean, I mean, think about it. You could do you could do some pretty cool you could do some pretty cool stuff that way if if you wanted to. It's all about it's all about what you want to. I think what you want to say, and I think that the one thing that I always try to get across whenever whenever I teach people about stuff is to stop thinking about gear and i and i know it falls on deaf ears all the time you know but you can pick up technique even lighting technique you know you can you can pick that up pretty quickly um but thinking about art whether whether you derive art from 18th century masters whether you derive it from you know tarantino films or or comics you know, think about visuals and think about stories because otherwise, what do you what do you do? You know, you just do another lighting ratio, another two to one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that's I think where you find who you are. You know, who are you as a photographer? There, was a, I can't think of his name, but I remember listening to a talk by an author, and he's someone was asking him afterwards. You know, how did you get into this? And he said, Well, I just started writing everything i wrote poetry and i was horrible at that and i tried journalism and i was horrible at that and eventually i I got into this sort of uh you know um biographical fiction and i and i was good at that 
And that's sort of what I did. I mean, I thought I was going to be a photojournalist, and I went to Senegal, a documentarian, and I started shooting all this stuff, and I brought 200 images home, and I printed them all, and I, I gave them to a photo editor friend of mine. She started going through the pile, and every once in a while, she'd take one out, and she kept going through the pile, take another out. And then there was a huge pile, and there was another pile with, like, maybe teeny, tiny, tiny six <laughs> or seven. She said, well, the bad news is you're not a documentary photographer. <laughs> But the good news is you take nice environmental portraits. That, that you do well. Right. So start thinking about doing more of that. Interesting. You know? And that's one of the neat things about photography, too, right? When you start looking at that type of work. Because you get to see the world in ways that you don't see it. You know, it's not that something's right or wrong. You know, you look at... Um, everybody, every one of the instructors you've had, whether it's Sandro or Colson... I could never shoot some of the stuff that they do and wouldn't. Not that I don't like what they do. I love what they do. Right. But I don't naturally see that way. That's not who I am. Right. That's, why, that's who they are. That's, right. You know, that's they who they have, are. They have their eye. They have their style. Yeah. They have, their, have what is their driver to get them to their craft. Right. And what's interesting is I get to see the world that way now. Right. Because they took a photo of how they see. And you can be influenced by that. You That's can, right. You can understand their lighting, their composition, their approach to a subject. All of that is now lesson for you to go back and apply to your craft. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And, and so that's what's, that's what's so neat about it. And I think if people just keep doing that and keep studying, you know, the, the, the making CG, you know, if you, if you, before I started doing that, I used to just make flats, right? Make a wall make a corner, go down to the hardware store and get some tiles and lay out tiles and how do we distress the wallpaper and all that and put that up there and, and put, someone, put someone in there, you know, sort of Mark, Mark Siegler kind of thing. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and get a sense for what a set is like. Um, you know, for young people who, are, who, who might be getting into this at a college age or even high school age, you know, get involved in theater programs where you're set building. You know, there's a, yeah. there's a ton of stuff there. Google set building, Google production design. You know, that's where you will find all, that's where you'll find inspiration and ideas. Right. You know, and then the CGI is just figuring out, okay, how do I, how do I get from here to there? And if I could figure out a really quick and concise, you know, 20 hour way to get someone there, I'd be all over it and be pitching you to do it. Right. I just don't know if I know that. Right. I still think this is incredibly valuable because I, you know, the advice that you're giving is great for people to start to think about other places where they can find that inspiration, where now they've got um, something that, that is tangible that can turn into character and mood and, and sense of place. And I think doing things like understanding set design, that's fabulous. One of the, one of the, it, one of the homework assignments I used to give mm -hmm. is um, everybody had a few lights. I don't care if they were Home Depot work lights whatever, you know, teach people how to do soft light with a photo flood bulb and a china ball, and right? And everybody has a kitchen. Everybody has a place where they eat. Mm -hmm. um, so I said, okay, we've now taught you how to make homemade modifiers out of foam core and, and all these little, you know, cinefoil or tinfoil, if that's what you have. And mm -hmm. um, Go home and do a horror scene. It's, you're having a dinner. Mm -hmm. You and your wife, you and your girlfriend, you and your buddy. Light it and shoot it and frame it it's a horror scene. It's a romance scene. It's, um, it's a breakup scene. 
mm-hmm. you know, come up with four or five of those. And anything I see in that frame, I want to know why it's there. Because if you look at any frame of any movie you've ever seen, nothing was just left there. Right. When I started, I, was, I, I worked on a, uh, one of those lifetime made-for-TV movies. <laughs> right. Right? <laughs> I, was, I was dating the location director. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and they go into this house in Westchester. And I, I remember walking in and seeing it and going, oh, my God, this is perfect. This is gorgeous. This is absolutely great. And they basically took everything out painted brought all new stuff in and i thought this was really a waste oh my god how stupid no wonder these things cost so much and then i got to spend some time um talking to the art director and the director and then i learned oh this is what they're doing this is how they're they're telling the story the backstory in a way of these people self subconsciously you can only take in so much information consciously but your brain's taking in a ton everything you see your brain's taking in Right. So if you're if you're creating that scene in your kitchen, you know, what are you telling me? If the people aren't in it, if it's just the back plate, what is the story? What's the story of the back plate? And then put the people in there. Right. You know, how do you light? How do you light the back plate? Everybody always thinks about lighting the people. How do you light the the environment? That art director and that creative director or that director, they weren't looking at that house as a finished product. They were looking at it as a wireframe. That's right. right. That's I mean, they were looking at, at the structure of it and thinking, okay, we got to change these wall colors because they're not giving them, us the mood we want. We that, need to change all the furniture because it doesn't speak to the, to the people who live in this house. They're not going to have the furniture that's in this house. They're going to have something different. So they're, they're processing all that. When they go into a location, they're looking at it as a wire. Right. Yeah. And I never, th- I would have never you didn't that, think about it that way. Yeah, that's yeah. fantastic. Well, look at me. That, I'm teaching very, you something. That's very good. <laughs> um, I think I got it. What's that? Our jingle. Want to hear it? Sure. Na 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 RTG podcast. What do you think? I love it. You think we could go with that? Yeah, but can we get Lady Gaga to sing it or something? Who's that? All right, now you try jingle. No. Why not? Because I'm not in a jingle mood, man. I'm in the middle of a podcast. I'm thinking. Rob, try it. Try it out. My brain's not. Do it as Blondie would do it. Come up as a Blondie jingle for RTG Edu podcast. Blondie jingle. Come on, you got this. You got this. You got this. I believe in you, Rob Graham. I believe I in you. No, because Blondie's she's cutting. What? She was cutting. She yeah. was talking about why you know relationships suck. Like once she was in love and it was a gas. Soon found oh, yeah. out it was a pain in the ass. Oh yeah. yeah. You know? Oh now I know who you're talking yeah. about. CBGBs. Does yeah. that mean anything? Gonna read yeah, that yeah. joint. That's yeah. a okay. great song. CBGB yeah. man. She was she was an originator. Uh, your work is. Really fabulous, and uh, I want to encourage people to go really study your work. So, where do you want them to go find you? MatthewJCherry.com. Were you not listening to the beginning I of this? I want him to repeat it for our audience. <laughs> MatthewJCherry.com. Cherry, just like the fruit, just like you think. All nice. right, perfect. Yeah. Perfect. And uh, social media? Are you at MatthewJCherry? Are you on um, social media? A little bit. I guess, yeah, Facebook. I Facebook, guess I yeah. got a Facebook page there. And uh, right. do you, uh, Are you a grammar? I am a grammar, but that's what is that? It should be at Matthew J. Cherry. It's not. It's it's uh, MC be, Studios or something your, like that. See, he doesn't remember. Password. I bet you don't remember your password like me. I, I have I no have idea. Challenge? Yes. No idea. It's Kendrick on a three. Spirits. It's on a three by five card somewhere. <laughs> I like. You guys it. give me a hard time for not knowing the name of Blondie. Well, that's important you don't to us. Know the name of your fucking password. Our passwords are not as important to us as Deborah Harry. Oh Sorry. My God. Yep. You're, 
We have problems. You're unbelievable, Bob Grimm. <laughs> well, thank you again. We really appreciate it. Thank you very um, much. This was uh, a really interesting conversation, unlike anything we've really ever done before. And, and if, if you're listening to this and you want to learn more about this, feel free to send Rob an email, rob at rggedu.com, with, with a dick pic. <laughs> With, with the dick pic. Oh, my God. And and if anybody does send you stuff or posts stuff on your Facebook page or that, if there's anything yeah. I can do to point someone somewhere yeah. or steer them somewhere um, or help, I'm happy to do it. Yeah, I think that this is, this is a really interesting podcast because um, CGI is so uh, important now to where photography not only is but where it's going. Um, and I, I think that any opportunity we have to learn this craft is really uh, an important skill that we need. Uh, yeah. And just, look at what Adobe is doing. I mean, I know we're rapping, but, yeah. you know, how they just took from Project Felix and now they're it's now a, an actual product in their Adobe line for bringing in uh, CGI elements into your photographs. Right. It's not w- quite what I'm doing, right. but, but it's moving in that direction. But, it, but it's yeah. moving in that yeah. direction. Yeah. It's just a step away. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. We yeah. really appreciate this. Anytime. Fabulous. To download this episode and this entire season five of the RGG EDU podcast, go to rggedupodcast.com and also subscribe on iTunes where we publish a new episode every, what day, Rob? Every Sunday. Uh, it's, when, it's Wednesday. <laughs> Wednesday, I know. God. You know I like messing with you. It's Wednesday. And it's hump day. We're on iTunes, SoundCloud, every, every Google, hump and day. Stitcher. Hump day, baby. Every hump day. Hump day is podcast day. It's right. a good day. Let's sing the jingle together. Ready? Okay. Na 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 Maybe these aren't even tea flavors. Maybe they're candles. Season 5 of the RGG EDU podcast is brought to you by Sekonic Light Meters. For decades, Sekonic Light Meters have been an essential tool helping photographers grow from simply taking pictures to creating photographs. Nothing compares to working with a light meter to help you understand and control light. Get serious. Get Sekonic. Sekonic.